One of the questions that I received this week, and I, I thought it was a fairly interesting question, and uh, this person had hired an attorney to sue um, another person for a, uh, a breach of a promissory note. Okay, so we'll just make it simple. They they loaned this person some money, and the person never paid, and now they sued them in uh, court. Now, Rhode Island has a, basically a three-tier system of courts. We have our first court, which is what's called our district court. We have our second court, which is called our superior court. And then we have our Supreme Court. Uh, Massachusetts has a very similar system. Uh, they, you know, they have their probate, and of course, we have probate court and family court. But it, for for purposes of this question that came up, the person's attorney they hired filed this complaint in district court. Now, what transpired was that the defendant in the case filed a motion to dismiss. And the defendant said that um, the person filed the case in the wrong court. So let me explain that to you. When you are suing somebody or you get sued, there's two components to where the right court has to be. First of all, there's a question of what's called venue. And does that mean, and that means, the, is the part are the parties located or one of the parties most likely the defendant located in that county where the court is located or is the property if it's a dispute over property real estate located in that county so for example let's say you're selling your home in narragansett and you come into a dispute with a buyer over the sale of your home, and you decide to sue them in Providence County, Rhode Island. Well, it may not be the proper venue to hear the case. The second part of every court is the type of jurisdiction. So, for example, in Rhode Island, our superior courts are vested with equitable jurisdiction. So, that would be for things like adverse possession it would be for something like partitioning or forcing the sale of real estate or it could be in the common tense where you have a a home for sale it could be something called specific performance if you try to bring those types of claims in our district court it's the wrong place the district court does not have jurisdiction cannot exercise jurisdiction over those types of cases. But what happened here? All right, the person loaned somebody some money. Their attorney filed their case, okay? And then the other person filed a motion to dismiss, saying the district court did not have jurisdiction. And they said the district court did not have jurisdiction because the promissory note with interest in fees was more than $10,000. And so now the person said, well, the attorney said there's nothing they can do. And to me, that was a little bit confusing because there's an alternative to allowing your case to be dismissed and then having to refile. You could ask that the case be removed. So you ask that your case be removed to the higher court. 
And by doing that, your case would then be sent to the superior court where it would have jurisdiction to hear how this promissory note is going to be handled. And, um, you know, I guess whatever transpired, uh, they still would like to pursue the claim, but there's this motion to dismiss pending. And now their attorney has filed a motion to withdraw saying, well, they're not going to represent this person anymore. So kind of a convoluted situation, but it was an interesting question to talk about jurisdiction. Very important that when you're suing somebody or somebody suing you, that this jurisdiction, which means you have jurisdiction of the person, you have jurisdiction of the issue. Like I said, so if the real estate's in Narragansett, you're not going to file in Providence County and that you select the correct venue or place to be heard. Now, sometimes folks will say, well, I want to file this in um, federal court. Okay. And you have to check all those boxes before you get to federal court. And many times you don't get to federal court because you can't check one of the boxes, whether it's the amount in controversy, which has to be at least 75,000 or what's called diversity of the party. So I know I'm throwing a lot of legal stuff at you, but the important thing is you have to understand that when you file a case, you're limited to the jurisdiction of that particular court. If your case involves more money or involves other issues, maybe issues concerning equity, you may tell your attorney to file your case in a different court. Now, most attorneys, when we go through law school, I mean, we take constitutional law and we take other types of law that teach us all of these rules. And of course, after 26 years of practicing, you really learn the rules in and out, uh, specifically as to how they apply and where you have to go in a particular circumstance. So many times talking to somebody um, who may be inexperienced, they may not have that understanding, but this person's case does not have to be dismissed for lack of jurisdiction. Now, you may say to yourself, well, what is probate for? Well, probate is a court of limited jurisdiction, and it's there specifically to administer assets of the person who passed away. Where is the proper place that you have to file a probate? Well, the proper place to file the probate is where the person passed. Well, what if the person passed in another state? Well, if they were a resident of Rhode Island and they had a home in, let's say, Newport, the proper place to file the probate would be Newport Probate Court. So you have to understand all the ins and outs of how you get from one point to another. And, and I just want to talk about one other issue on this as well. Evictions in Rhode Island, evictions, whether they're commercial or residential, all start at the district court, the lower court, below superior court. Even if it's a commercial eviction for a million dollars, it still starts at the district court. 
Very interesting how Rhode Island has that structured. And many states say that you have to start your eviction in one particular court. And that way, it can be appealed to a higher court if you're unhappy. Now, that's kind of a downside. You know, a lot of people don't understand like this appeal process and what does it mean to appeal a case to a higher court. Ordinarily, when you have a hearing in district court, you can appeal it to our superior court and it's considered a de novo appeal, which means it means that your appeal is essentially um, starting your case over. You get to relitigate the issues. So very, you know, I know I'm talking a lot of gobbledygook today, but this one question about this person who didn't know what to do with the loan that they made to their brother, and now they sued them in the wrong court. Now their attorney is firing them. It just led to all of this. I mean, and so it, the key takeaway here is if you're being sued and you have an attorney or if you're suing somebody and you want to hire an attorney, number one, make sure your attorney knows what court to file it in. So you can ask the question, what court should we be filing in? Well, if it's family, obviously if it's family law, it's probate, obviously it's probate, but other cases might be different. What court should we be filing in? What should we be filing in Providence County, Washington County, Newport County? Where can we file this case? You have the right to ask those questions and they're perfectly legitimate and let your attorney explain it to you. Now, if you're in a meeting with your attorney and they don't know how to answer that question, they may not be the right person to handle that case. Maybe they don't have the experience to be able to answer that type of question. And that's okay. Because it tells both parties that maybe you need to, you know, interview somebody else or seek another opinion. Or you can call this show at 401-438-9776, 401-438-9776. Now, we're going to be heading into our break. My name is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO, having some fun this Sunday talking about complex legal issues, I know. You know, the law the law can be scary, and we try not to make it scary here by giving you the information that you need to understand how things work in the legal system. But my good friend Robert Wright, uh, who uh, is a mortgage broker, has uh, – we were talking the other day because we, we were working on a closing together, and he was telling me some very interesting information about V a loans and if you're a veteran and you have not used your veteran certificate it still might be a good time to buy a house even though the rates seem high and robert's going to help us with that so now my name's attorney steve levake your host of legal tips on wpro we're heading into our first break and when we come back we're going to have robert on the phone and we're going to ask him some tough questions about these va loans and issues pertaining to that We'll be back. Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend, OG, not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor, too. Joe Talks with Stacking Deeds co-host, Crystal Hammond. 
I've always been a fan of nosy neighbors. I want nosy neighbors. They can tell you what's going on 10 times faster than you would know. Again, what's she talking about, Doug? Really? (laughs) We're repairing neighborhoods, but then we're into nosy neighbors and build a career off of that. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. In just a minute. And we're back. This is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO. Answer your questions, giving out some advice. And uh, I believe we have Robert on the phone. Robert, are you there? Yes, sir. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, good morning, Robert Wright. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. And I was just telling everybody we were working on a closing the other day. And I brought up the issue because we are we're up to speed on everything with what's going on with mortgage rates for purchasing property. And you actually brought up a thing about VA interest rates compared to conventional FHA rates. And I said to you, I said, I, I think you need to get on the radio because there may be a lot of people out there who have not used their VA certificate. Um, so I'm not going to repeat what we talked about, but do you think you could maybe fill, fill our listeners in on what you were telling me? Oh, absolutely. So basically for our listeners out there that are veterans, uh, you know, everybody's hearing rates are seven and a half, eight percent. But right now for a, for a veteran uh, who's eligible to buy a home or refinance, um, the rates are down about 6.5 to 6.375. So don't be scared by what you're hearing on the, on the nightly news. Rates are very affordable right now for our vets. And no money down programs, or if a veteran wants to put down 5% or 10% or more, the funding fee would be a little bit less if they want to put money down. And the loan limits uh, for the rest of this year are actually up to $726,200. Not that every veteran wants to buy a $700-something-thousand-dollar home, but it's good to know that money's available up to that max loan limit. So, all right, so let's unpack this. So um, let's say I'm not a veteran and I'm shopping for rates and I'm looking to get a 30-year mortgage to buy a $500,000 house. I've got pretty decent credit and I've got some money to put down. What does that type of interest rate look like right now on the market? That's a good question. So basically, if you're looking to do a Fannie Mae loan, for around $500,000, you have got some money to put down, decent credit. Uh, the rates on those today are hovering right around seven and a quarter, seven and a half, so a little bit higher than if I was trying to help a veteran or do an FHA loan. And those rates have come down from where they were about three weeks ago. All so, right, so wait a, minute, wait, a minute, wait a minute. You mean the rates have come down for, we're not talking about VA loans, we're just talking about FHA loans, conventional loans. Correct. The rates actually came down a little bit? When the Fed did not raise rates this month again, uh, and they held steady, the market eased back a little bit. So about a half to three-quarters of a point, I've seen a reduction for Fannie Mae uh, buyers or refinancers, uh, which is good news for people out there looking to buy a home. Literally can save a couple hundred dollars a month with a, with a lower rate than where they were you know, a month or so ago. But if they're a veteran, 
now they have to have do they have to get like a certificate or something if they're a veteran to get a veteran loan um i would just review their dd214 which is their discharge paperwork and then i order what's called a certificate of eligibility to see how much money they can um use towards their down payment and their closing costs so I do all that on the background. I just need their discharge paperwork, the DD-214. Okay, but the rate, the interest rate for a veteran is going to be almost a point lower than a regular non-veteran conventional mortgage? Almost a full point lower uh, wow. for veterans. Veterans, you know, they they served our country, and yep. we want to make sure veterans are taken care of, and veterans always get a better rate. And that's a good thing. What about money down? Like traditionally, if you're buying a home, you need 10% down or 20% down. And so if I have my VA certificate, if I'm a veteran and I never used it before, what, what do I have to put down? Uh, zero. You can buy a house with zero down up to $726,200. Uh, if the veteran wants to put money down to reduce the loan amount, which will give them a lower monthly payment, they're more than welcome to do that. It's totally up to the veteran and I to talk about the different scenarios. Maybe they don't want to put a lot of money down. They don't want to put any money down. That's perfectly fine. They're going to get the same rate. Wow. So that's that's almost 100% financing? 100% financing for veterans. Yes, sir. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's that's huge. I bet you a lot of people don't know that. That if they now this now this is you can only use your VA certificate once, though, right? Is that right? Actually, you can use it, and if you pay that house off and you're looking to buy another home, you can do it again. Um, oh, you can. Veterans are also allowed. Yes, you can. And if a veteran uh, uses some of their eligibility money for the down payment, and then they decide they want to buy a bigger home. They can leave that mortgage alone, rent out that house, and then buy another house. But that's on a case-by-case case, um, um, Right. So just because a veteran has used their certificate, um, you, it's a case-by-case case basis as to whether or not they might be eligible to use it again. Get the lower rate. Get 100% financing, no money down. I mean, so that could make the difference right now in this tight real estate market of somebody being able to afford a house in this market right now. Oh, absolutely. And a veteran can also buy a multifamily home and use the rental from the other side, up or down, whatever it is, to help supplement and give them a lower payment out of their own pocket. Oh, see, I I didn't know that. I bet you a lot of people listening didn't know that you were restricted to buy a single family home. But so what you're telling me is if it's your intention to live in this home, you can use your certificate, still collect one or two rents on this property and live in the property and still use your certificate to have zero money down, get the lower interest rate as well. That's absolutely correct. And if you're renting, if it's a three family the veteran could almost live in the home for free and just have to pay utilities, uh, depending that's, on what the rents are. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I, I, and you know what? It, that gives if if somebody out there is listening and you're 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 a veteran and maybe you've used your VA certificate or you haven't, 
it gives somebody the flexibility to still be able to get out of renting for $2,500 a month to be able to buy something in this tight market and still be able to, whether they do a multifamily, a single family, not have to borrow money from family members, not have to maybe come up with, take out cash out money from a 401k or take a loan, whatever it is to come up with a down payment and be able to buy a house. And that's exactly correct. And I love helping veterans. We've closed a lot of these together, Stephen. Um, when I sold my house in Rhode Island, I actually sold it purposely to a veteran. I had two offers exactly the same, and I wanted to help the veterans. They were both actually doctors um, for the uh, Army. A little right. extra work for me doing that, but I wanted to give, give my house to a veteran. Right. That's wonderful. Well, Robert, uh, all right. Why don't you give out your telephone number? Because obviously they can call my office and I give them your telephone number. But Robert Wright, why don't you give out your telephone number? So listen, if there's any veterans listening out there today um, where you're in the process of buying or you're, you're holding off because you're afraid that maybe you used your VA certificate before or whatever, something along those lines, and you need to talk to somebody who knows their business about this issue, and get you over the finish line, uh, you got to give Robert a call. Robert, why don't you give out your number a couple of times? Sure. It's 401-924-2665. Again, 924-2665. And I answer my phone seven days a week from 8 in the morning to 830 at night. Okay. Excellent. Robert, thanks so much for coming on and giving us this uh, insightful information about what's going on in the market, especially with that the veterans. When the minute you mentioned to me the other day, I said, "Yeah, I said we got to get you on the radio because I can imagine that there's a lot of people who might have used their VA certificate but don't know that they're still eligible to use some portion of it, or whether or not they're." using it for the first time, they don't have to come up with money or whether or not they can use it to buy a multifamily. So that's great information. Thank you so much for coming on today. And um, of pleasure, course, if Steven. you forget Robert's number, you can call me at the office and I'll get you his number. But um, thanks so much, Robert. I hope you have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful day for the rest of your day. Yes, you, you too, Stephen. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. We're heading into our middle of the road break. My name is attorney Steve Levick, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut. Maybe you're listening on a podcast someplace else and you've got a legal question. This is your chance to get a call in, get your question answered. We'll be back in just a minute. Alrighty, we're back. This is attorney Steve Levick, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO, answering your questions, giving out some advice. I like to think we give out legal advice. We give out common sense advice. We give out advice um, that helps you in your day-to-day -day, uh, dealings with folks and how to resolve issues, resolving conflicts, and uh, making things go smoothly for you. You know, one of the uh, issues that we have uh, a lot of calls I get is if I own multiple pieces of property, how do I protect myself from, protect my personal assets from liability? Now, a lot of people will say, should I set up an LLC to be the manager of each property? And yes, you could set up an LLC to be the manager of each property. 
in which case the LLC would then collect the rents and you would then take those rents as income to you. And obviously you would take some depreciation and things like that. And if something tragic happened on that property, for example, somebody fell off a balcony, the only thing they could go after is the assets of the LLC, which would just be that property. But of course, if you have sufficient insurance, your insurance steps up first. So your insurance always becomes your first line of defense when you have ex liability exposure. And so a lot of times I will tell folks, if you have, if you're concerned about liability, first of all, talk to your insurance agent, make sure that your liability exposure for your policy is sufficient. Because for example, you may only have an insurance policy with a 300,000 personal injury limit. And that may keep your policy lower, so to speak, than what it might be. But you might ask your agent, should I increase that limit? Because nowadays, somebody goes to the hospital for a broken bone, a broken clavicle, or something worse. The hospital bill alone is going to be $100,000, $150,000 before you walk out of there. So three hundred dollars isn't a lot. And so you may want to talk about the cost either to increase your liability insurance to protect yourself or, or perhaps inquiring about what's called an umbrella policy to say that if the cost or if the expense of somebody being hurt on your property exceeds your insurance, then in that particular circumstance, your umbrella policy steps in and provides you additional coverage. And of course, that would give you an additional layer of protection. So it's not that I'm um, veering off the idea that um, you shouldn't have an LLC because setting up a business to own your real estate is a good way to be able not only to have tax benefits, but also to provide you the liability protection. So let's say, for example, maybe you have a three-family property in Pawtucket or or Providence or an area that um, um, perhaps where you're concerned that there have been other circumstances where people have been hurt on your property. And, um, or maybe, you know, this could be anywhere, West Warwick or Newport, wherever it is, where you're going to have a lot of transient traffic. And that would mean when you have a three, think about this. If you own a two-family or three-family property and you're renting it out, that means the people who are occupying each unit are also going to invite guests over. So there's going to be guests. There's going to be delivery men. There's going to be um, extended family that might stay with them. So you have three times the amount of exposure for liability. So checking with your insurance agent to make sure that you have enough insurance on the property and then checking with your insurance agent about an umbrella policy would also give you an added layer of liability protection and comfort should somebody become seriously injured on your property. And of course, you could always look into just creating an LLC or a limited liability company for the purpose of owning that real estate which would then give you the corporate shield, which means that let's say that property is worth $300,000 
And let's say your primary resident is worth a million. And somebody in that property falls off the second balcony because the railing gives way and somebody falls a story and a half down onto the ground and is seriously injured. Uh, then if they can either accept what the insurance company gives or they can try to pursue the assets of the LLC, but they can't go beyond that. So that gives you that layer of protection to protect you from any sort of uh, blowback from that type of liability. So that's a question that comes up on a regular basis. And I always say, you know, it starts with a conversation with your insurance agent. You know, a lot of times we do a lot of this online quoting stuff and it's great because you get instant quotes, instant that, but sometimes it's good just to talk to somebody and to say, look, I want to make sure that you know, we have no mortgage on our house. We have no mortgage on this three family that we have enough insurance in place. God forbid this should happen to us. Now, what are some of the other things that I see or ways that you can limit your exposure to potential liability? Well, one of the ways you can limit your exposure to potential liability is by regularly visiting the property or having your maintenance man visit the property to identify any issues that could pose a harm to a third party. So, I mean, if there are rotted boards on decking, you may want to replace them. If there's a handrail that's broken, you may want to fix it. Perhaps there's a walkway with um, missing bricks. Well, you may want to have that repaired. And those are slip hazards or hazards that could cause somebody potential harm that you want to have fixed. And one of the other things that I've noticed also is a lot of times with old wiring. So electrical wiring can be very tricky. And one of the reasons why is with older electrical wiring, often the wiring was not grounded or was what's called grounded to a box. And sometimes with the circuit breakers that probably were there at that time, those circuit breakers don't provide that um, it, it protection should a child uh, play with a non-tamper resistant receptacle. Okay. Matter of fact, I, I've had this case. And so a tamper resistant receptacle is essentially a receptacle where there's a plastic piece that goes across that you have to kind of push through to get into the receptacle. And it may be something as simple as having your maintenance person go through your units and install these tamper resistant receptacles, maybe update your GFI outlets. So that way, if somebody does do something, the GFI outlet will protect it. I mean, these are just things that you can think about, but these are things that I've seen where people have problems. And so the types of cases I've been involved in where people have been injured have been, for example, missing bricks in a walkway, like I just said, a broken handrail have been, um, there was a stairway where the handrail literally was wobbling on the wall and came off the wall when my person fell down the stairs because all they used was drywall screws to fix it to the wall. Um, G, uh, not a non-grounded outlet where a young child was hurt and had to be taken to the hospital. So if you want to protect yourself and protect your assets, using a limited liability company is certainly a vehicle to do that. 
Contacting your insurance company is certainly a vehicle to do that. And maintaining the property is certainly another way to try to prevent any exposure for liabilities. Because that's what I see on my side of the fence when I'm prosecuting people who have been hurt at other people's houses or commercial properties. Now, my name's attorney, Steve LeVake, your host of Legal Tips on WPR Road. Whether you're listening Rhode Island, Massachusetts, or Connecticut, or anywhere else, you can give us a call. And we do have Victor on the line, which uh, Tiffany tells me we are going to be taking him after the break. So we're taking our last break, and then we're going to get Victor on the phone and talk to Victor a little bit. We'll- we're all juggling life, a career, and trying to build a little bit of wealth. The Brown Ambition Podcast with host Mandy and Tiffany, the budget Nista can help. Ultimately, I'm not expecting that you know how to do everything but I am expecting that you are willing to learn. You can't be in the passenger seat when it comes to your career. You you can't expect your manager to teach you every single thing. If you're falling behind in a skill, like finding a way to get caught up without just telling your boss, like, I don't get it. Brown Ambition, wherever you listen. Be back in just a minute. Hi, we're back. This is attorney Steve LeVake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO. Um... We do have a caller on the line. Now, the number here is 401-438-9776. We do have Victor on the line. Hi, Victor. You're on the line with Stephen. How can I help you today? Hi, good morning, Stephen. Uh, do you remember me, I believe? We, uh, oh, you of course, worked, Victor. Uh, how, uh, how are you feeling, uh, my friend? Oh, I'm, I'm hanging in there. Uh, doing okay. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Uh, I just want you know I want I was listening to Robert right with you on the show and it's your show and you you had him uh, sit in a few years ago and I called Robert back then and he got me a VA rate and mortgage refi that I had I didn't know I I could get and uh, you took care of the legal work and and I can't thank you guys so much for uh, the help that you made it easy for me to uh, get the money I needed to help fix my house. Oh, thanks, Victor. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Victor, yeah, you've been you've easy. been uh, uh, yeah. a friend of the office and a friend of the show, and and uh, you know, well, it was a ple- it's always been a pleasure to help you and your family too. I did have a question. I don't know if there's time. Of course, there is. Okay, so um, is it wise or normal for someone to take a revocable trust and turn it into an irrevocable trust? Is that something easy to do or is that complicated? No, actually, that's something that's not complicated to do. Ordinarily, you do an amendment to your revocable trust, and that amendment would essentially transfer the trust into an irrevocable trust. Um, you know, okay. um, and Victor, you had gotten a, uh, a VA loan, is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's right. I remember we went through that process. And um, I wasn't uh, Victor, sure if you, I still qualified for it. I, I'm sorry to speak over. Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, uh, obviously, we'll have to ask Robert that question. Did um, did do, do you mind me asking you, did you get your furnace resolved? Oh, yeah, I did. Uh, so, I, I paid for it myself, but uh, the, the, the insurance company there with the warranty, they say that uh, I shouldn't have done that and they're not going to pay me. So I I, I had to eat that. <laughs> so just so everybody's listening, if anybody 
a plumber is out there or anything like that and you, you want to help a, an old vet out um the victor's had a um he had he had an insurance like a home insurance policy and when he had folks come out they said they wouldn't accept the home insurance policy and he was going into the hospital and um because it was so time constrictive you know my advice was well pay for it and then submit the bill and see what they can do so he paid for it to get it patched worked um but you know if there's a plumber out there or anybody out there and you know who deals with furnaces um who maybe can help an old vet out i'll give a shout out to our community to say you know if you want to give me a call i'll put you in touch with victor because i think i think victor that you did a pat you patched it but it's not completely fixed right uh, no, it was just a valve that was sticking. It was plugged yep. up. And I did call somebody that I that, that was just in the phone book, and uh, the, mm -hmm. they advertised. And yep. I see their uh, ad, and I called the guy up. He's an ex-Navy ex veteran. and uh, Oh, good. Okay. He owns his own business. He came over, and he got it running in like 10 minutes, and it was a fair cost. And uh, we, you know, well, I, Victor, I didn't know if you, if it, yeah, I didn't know water. if it was still, uh, if it was still, um, if it was still giving you trouble. Cause I give a shout out to see if there's anybody out there who could, you know, help you out in your time of need, especially. Well, with that. I appreciate and, that. And then it's always nice to, to know somebody that can come and help. But this guy, I think it's going to be my boiler guy because of what he okay. did. Okay, all right, all right. Well, we'll leave it at that. But that's, you know, and that's that's a scary story with the home insurance too, Victor, with the, I mean, you know, you buy these home insurance policies that's supposed to cover certain things and then you call them. And I know you called them, I can't count how many times. And, you know, oh, eventually, yeah, and eventually I, my advice was just get it repaired before you go into the hospital because- it just you couldn't you couldn't let it wait you know and then resubmit no. the bill and you know victor maybe what we'll do is um when you know when you're better you can give me that bill and let give me the contact information and what i'll do is i'll send a letter on your behalf just to see if we can get a re see if they'll respond to an attorney's letter as well you know what i mean well just uh the kind words that you just said earlier about trying to get me some help i appreciate that and you steered me in the right direction. So I got yeah. it fixed. I mean, I didn't want to do it on my own. Right. But I figured they were going to do it, and they didn't hold up to their end of the bargain. So I yep. live and I learn. Well, thanks for calling in, Victor. I truly appreciate it and all the kind words. I, I appreciate it on this Sunday. You're a great guy. Oh, uh, you're one uh, of the and best a friend. individuals. I consider you a friend at the office, so that's... Yeah, well, it's really nice. You're to one of the best in. individuals I ever met. You're a good, good decision maker. <laughs> Thanks, Victor. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All righty. Next up, we have Rose from Fall River, who has a question about a house. Hi, Rose. You're on the yes. air with Stephen. How can I help you today? Oh, well, I'm 93 and I'm not in good health, and I've had a couple taken care of me for about 26 years. They do everything. He does the plowing and the the grass and the bushes, and she helps me. And I had a a bad health uh, thing uh, a few years back that I was in a wheelchair and oxygen 
24 hours for quite a while. And I only have one heir. Two of my children have passed away. And I'd like to leave my house to them. And with them just paying the cost of transferring the uh, deed. There's no mortgage. There's no bank that's going to be and everything. And last week, he gave me a check for $50,000 as a gift to my son for not opposing this arrangement. Now, what should I do? Well, we you want to make it so that we probably should use a, a simple trust instrument. Um, and, and the reason why we would do that is we would put it into trust that says that it goes to these folks. And then what I would have you do, or what I would do is we would open up a trust bank account and put the $50,000 in there as well. Now, does the $50,000 go to him upon your passing or does it go to him now? Passing. Okay. So then we put the $50,000 in a trust account and it would just sit there and earn 5% interest. And then when you're no longer here, they would come in and see me. We would transfer the deed into their name and we would transfer the money to your son. And do I have to pay taxes on this trust account? No, there should be no tax liability on the account. The only thing there would be would be some interest. So if there's interest earned on the account that you would, but you're probably not, you probably don't pay taxes now anyway. So I don't think it'd be a problem. Okay. Rose, I'm going to give you, I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to, Tiffany's going to put you on hold. Okay. And she's going to give you my office number to give me a call at, because she's saying that we're at the end of the show. Um, so Tiffany, I'm going to chat you my office number and if you could give that to Rose, so maybe she could call me Monday afternoon and, uh, just did it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you so much for producing this show. And thank you to Cumulus, great radio station and all the listeners out there. I know you appreciate me and I appreciate you too. Wonderful show today. Lots of information, lots of legal news. We'll be back next week. Of course, you can always find me online at spllaw.com, or you can call me at my office at 401-490-4900, 401-490-4900. This is attorney Steve Levake. We'll see you next week. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my father, John Glover. <laughs> you know, we watch talk film and most of these episodes I never saw. I didn't watch the show. You never once saw yourself on Smallville. In the beginning, I used to look at myself all the time and love to. And then as I get older, I stopped. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe because I'm older. <laughs> I was going to talk to you about that because you're 79. Yeah. How old do you feel? 11. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. <laughs>